We look to a lot of things to give us security. Car alarms, video doorbells, a reputable bank, life insurance. And all these things are good, but can we consider a greater source of security? So welcome to the Bible Studies for Life Adult Podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And in this session, we're going to consider the protection that's wrapped up in God's name. We are in the last uh, session of our study on the name above all names. And uh, delighted to have Curtis Hauntz with us. Curtis uh, helps us with the development of the uh, commentary uh, for teachers, leaders. And Curtis, tell the folks what else you do. Well, in addition to that, I also uh, am responsible for a piece called Masterwork that takes uh, uh, authors' writings on uh, scripture and condenses them down and, and uh, as necessary, changes them into Bible study. So it's like a you're taking a trade yes. book, mm -hmm. like a uh, by by a pastor or a famous author, and making it into a Bible study. Most of the time, the uh, right. the the authors are are more or less contemporary, uh, but sometimes we pick up a, a Charles Spurgeon or or an old name. But most of them are, are more okay. contemporary. Well, it's great to have you with us. Always a pleasure. Um, Thank you, Lynn. As you created that list of things that give security i i had kind of created a list myself you know like so some people ha uh, have security in their bank accounts and i i cannot identify <laughs> with that at all uh some people use uh guns and so i'm talking about stuff that i don't have anything i don't have i don't have a safe i don't have guns uh but some people uh depend on these things for for protection or security. Yeah. I had a friend in college um, and this was late, late seventies, but we became roommates and in our kitchen, I was floored when I went in there and he had purchased cans of soup. Now, when I say cans of soup, I mean cans and cans and cans of soup to the point of hoarding. And uh, I mentioned this and he says, because of the way he grew up, where he, where he grew up, I think there was just a kind of a, a sense of security. And I know some of our older adults, senior adults may understand that those who may have grown up in a, in a depressed time during the depression, where that sense of that, I've got this food with me and there's that sense of security. I think sometimes people live, lean on their, their neighborhood uh, where they live. Uh, looking for a gated community, looking for a, a neighborhood that there's uh, not a lot of crime in that seems to be a secure neighborhood. Uh, proximity to, to you know, the, the right side of the tracks, uh, various kinds of things like that. So when we moved to the Nashville area, uh, the lady that was uh, our real estate agent, um, she evidently listened to had a police scanner and listened all the time and so she knew the high uh crime areas high, high profile crime areas and we would ask about areas and she said oh no no you don't want to live there that's not safe and so there was a lot to what you just described these things that we've talked about that different people look to for security those are good things but we are in the study about a name like no other where we're looking at God's name in general, in particular, 
And the, I want us to see here as we look in Psalm 91, the security that we ought to feel because of God's name. So I, what we're going to look at as we look at Psalm 91 is this idea that we can trust God to strengthen and help us. I want us to look at uh, just a few verses in Psalm 91. But Curtis, let's stop for a moment, though. Is there anything you can tell us? What do we know about the background of this psalm? Anything? So we don't know a whole lot from a historical standpoint. There is no superscription that tells us when it happened, when it was uh, in regards to or anything like that. There is some language in the psalm that makes us uh, think that it may have been in some sort of military setting. There's referring reference to a, a shield of protection and some other kinds of, of wording, taking refuge and such that makes us think that it may have been a, a psalm that was written to encourage soldiers as they go out into battle. Um, but, but we're not sure of that. The thing that we are sure of, though, is it is, it is a psalm of trust. Uh, it currently is a standalone psalm and may have been written as a standalone psalm, but it also may have been part of a larger work that included uh, some sort of, of lament uh, and, and the, the psalm then kind of perhaps becoming the, the concluding portion of that that reaffirms the, the trust and the protection of God, trust in and protection of God. So if, if, if David wrote this psalm, there were many times in his life where he was on the run, where he was uh, threatened uh, from the time he was a young man when Saul was coming after him. And uh, then as, as king, after he became king, he had issues in his family where those things happened. So um, it, really could have happened at any juncture, at any point um, in, his, in his life. We can certainly see this as a psalm of trust. Uh, I want, let me read the first six verses. But as I read this, as you're listening, I want you to listen for the names of God, uh, the, the descriptions of God, and let's consider what that tells us about his protection. Psalm 91, the one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say concerning the Lord, who is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He himself will rescue you from the bird trap, from the destructive plague. He will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in the darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. So when we look at this psalm in, in our language, it's not apparent uh, that uh, in the first two verses that uh, the psalmist used four distinct names of God. Curtis, let's talk about that. He did use four different names, uh, the first one being uh, the Most High. Uh, our tendency might be to consider the use of the name Most High as an acknowledgement that there were other gods. We would be mistaken if we come to that conclusion. Uh, but the, the psalmist lived in a region that uh, proclaimed lots of gods. And so to, to God's people, he said, you know, in essence, is saying, even if there are other gods, even if there were other gods, our God is the God Most High above all those others. There's a reason to believe in protection uh, because he's a, would be above any other God that, uh, that might be out there. Uh, 
Jonah. So he's the, the, the one and only God, the God above all others with authority over all others. He's also identified as, uh, as the, the Almighty, uh, Shaddai. We, we uh, may be familiar with the name El Shaddai, uh, God Almighty, uh, refers to his, uh, his powerful, uh, the powerful nature that he is. Uh, and it, it's interesting that it talks about uh, living the shadow of the Almighty. In, in the Middle East, um, there's a there's a lot of barren land. We've read recently and heard of of people in the American Southwest who have died in the heat of this summer, uh, being out uh, hiking out uh, away from uh, protection. It's no small deal to find a shadow, to find shade in that kind of context. Uh, so uh, he he's identified as providing the shadow, the Almighty God providing shadow. Uh, he's the Lord. This is the, the name that uh, God revealed himself to Moses when Moses was called to go to Egypt to lead the people out of uh, captivity. And he said, if the people say, who sent me, who should I tell them? Uh, it's the covenant name. It has a very uh, uh, significant meaning. It's, it's more than just identifying God as God. It's identifying him as one that establishes relationship and establishes covenant and then he's identified. So that, that's, where, that's where that's, this is where that study um, on the name of God started for us, where we took a look at Moses at the burning bush. So that's just a uh, connection for those who have been listening to our podcast for six sessions. Go ahead, Curtis. Well, identifies him also then as my God, El Elohim. Um, uh, this is the, the name of, that was used in the creation account, used, uh, uh, frequently, it's a description of God that uh, that speaks of His uh, power. But the psalmist identified Him not just as God, but as my God, the personal element there. Uh, he wasn't just someone that the psalmist knew about, but someone that the psalmist had relationship with. So, uh, Lynn, when we started, you 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 uh, made the statement that there are these descriptions of God. So we have the names first, uh, but let's talk about uh, how the psalmist described God at this point. Well, one of the descriptions I see is, is my refuge and my fortress. And of course he, he, he mentions this in, in light of both most high Lord almighty, uh, the, God almighty and the Lord, this idea that he is the one I can go to uh, is I think more of in terms of a fort, a fortress. I can go in there and in, in his presence, I am secure. I love that imagery there that uh, the fortress is a place where you go when you're facing battles and we run to God and he is the one who faces the battles for us and we just rest in him. I love the images from uh, nature that he gives us in verses three and following that he rescues us from a, from the trap. A bird trap is what the image is here. Uh, uh, he, he, covers us uh, so it, it, next he talks about how he uh, like a, a mother bird will uh, take her feathers and cover her her young and, and protect them uh, that he God does the same thing for us as a protective shield so question number two asks the, the what does it look like to dwell and rest in God's protection uh, and to carry on with the the bird theme uh, being rescued from a trap in the the mother's wings, 
when we dwell and rest in God's protection, then our feathers are unruffled. We're not hmm. caught up in all the things going on around us. I think it's such a, uh, I love the imagery there. And, and for those who, who accuse Christians of taking the Bible literally in every, they, they mistakenly think we look at everything in the Bible as literally true. Well, if that was the case, God would be a big chicken here. And that's not the case. And we know that. And I, I always use this the point there is scripture is clear on what it means. And it's clear when it's using uh, with the type of genre, the type of uh, poetry this is. Uh, but it's in that poetry, I think, that helps us to really get a grasp of God's love and his protection. Just as that mother bird, that mother hen might uh, cover uh, the young ones with her feathers. He gives uh, multiple examples, and uh, it may be a good talking point for uh, our groups to consider the the dangers in life. He he talked about the terror by night, the arrow that flies, the plague. We've been through that with COVID, uh, pestilence. So it may be good to say, what kind of dangers do we face? When when do you feel insecure? When uh, um, just what what brings fear to your heart? Where you need to look to God for protection and to go to Him and trust Him. And with that, Chris comes this idea as we talked about protection. That also that idea of security that goes with it. Uh, let's skip down to verse 9 for just a moment. This is Psalm 91, verse 9. Because you have made the Lord my refuge, the Most High, your dwelling place, no harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. For he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. They will, you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. Now, again, I want us to see the poetry here and not lead all this literally in the sense of, hey, it's okay for me to go out and stomp on snakes. <laughs> there is a imagery here that he's given us that no matter what comes at us, we could be safe. We could be secure in God. But that doesn't mean I need to go out and start finding lions, jumping into the lion cage with them. I don't recommend that. Jerry Phillips, in his writing for the Personal Study Guide, made this statement that this is not a universal promise that harm will never come to those who trust in God. And we 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 need to verbalize that. Hurt and pain and difficulties do come our way, but the assurance that we get from this from the psalm is that in our time of distress, in our in our time of danger, uh, we look to God for help, for comfort, for strength. Uh, we do look to Him for deliverance, and should. Um, but but uh, heartache and difficulty uh, is just a part of life, and. Uh, even though those things do happen and occur, uh, God is faithful and we can trust him. Well, let's talk about one phrase that's in here, and it's this reference to the angels. He gives his angels orders concerning you. There's interest often in our culture, not just within Christianity, but in the culture, this idea of guardian angels. Even recently, I saw another one of those bumper stickers 
uh, you know, something like don't, don't drive faster than your guardian angel can fly. You know, that kind of, this idea that God has got some kind of angel watching out for me. Uh, Curtis, can you help us understand what, what does the Bible really tell us about this idea of guardian angels? Well, the, the, the passage that you read is obvious that part of angels' responsibility is the watching over of God's people and uh, the care for God's people and giving guidance to them. Uh, there is, is nothing that I'm aware of that identifies that, that there is an angel or a group of angels assigned to me specifically or assigned to you specifically for that, uh, for that purpose in the sense of what guardian angel tends to communicate uh, among people. Uh, so while there's a, a general uh, responsibility among the, the angel population, uh, the, the idea of, uh, of a guardian angel is, is somewhat uh, foreign to scripture. Um, we also need to point out that this protection is, is prefaced on the verse nine, uh, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. There are lots of people who uh, visit the Lord every few days or every few weeks and want to claim his protection. Uh, but but uh, the scripture tells us that it's those who have made the Lord their dwelling place, their, their personal, their, their abode, their permanent residence, as opposed to just a place that they drop in and visit every now and then. It's to those that the promise is given of God's protection. We do know that also this is a passage that Satan himself used when he was tempting Jesus. When he took him up, said, hey, cast yourself down from this pinnacle, and uh, he's going to send his angels. And where Satan essentially quotes this passage, where he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. And uh, tempted Jesus in that way. Of course, we know how that turned out. It, Jesus didn't give in. But uh, it is interesting to see how people often want to use phrases like this to think there's some kind of special protection God has for them, whether or not they go, Curtis, as you did, go to verse 9 to say, have you made the Lord your dwelling place? Let's press on. Let's go to verse 14 now. As we've talked about the security and the protection that comes from God's name, Let's just remember this, that we will experience satisfaction because God works on our behalf. The psalmist said this, because he has his heart set on me, this is not God speaking, because he has his heart set on me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him his salvation. I appreciate so much these words. Uh, again, we've, we have gone back again and again to it, it's when we've made God our shelter and our dwelling place, when that's where we live. And, and God's response is just that. Uh, listen, this, he has set his heart on me. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Uh, it's a powerful message uh, to believers, especially those of us who have uh, made it uh, our life's uh, quest uh, to know God and to walk in him. And, you know, I'm talking about all believers uh, who have 
made the, those kind of deep and abiding commitments to follow Jesus and walk with him. What I do like about these closing verses is it's not just that God protects and serves, but there is this contentment, this satisfaction that comes along with resting in the one who protects us. Because he says here, he says, I'm going to rescue him and I'm going to give him honor and I'm going to satisfy him long life. I'm going to show him salvation. There's no greater satisfaction than having that salvation and resting in that kind of security in Christ. So it's not that just he protects me from harm. He, 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 as he protects me from harm, he also brings the good into my life. So Jerry uh, Phillips again points out these eight statements that are made about God's protection. He so he delivers us. He'll protect us. Uh, he will answer us. He will be with us in trouble. He will rescue us. He will give us honor. He will satisfy us with a long life. He will show us his salvation. These are all of the promises of God that are given to those uh, who know God, know his name, uh, know his heart, and follow him. We've kind of implied it by, by, by what we've said, but... Uh... The, the when he says because he knows my name uh, most people in our world would know the, the name God uh, they would know uh, many would know the name Jesus but the the implication here that the Hebrew means more than just knowing the word but it reflects knowing the person uh, so it's much more than just a, a knowing of a a set of syllables, a set of sounds. So this is the Hebrew idea that to know someone is to have an intimate, close relationship with them, to be connected to them, uh, as opposed to the Greek idea that is information and knowledge. Is that what you're getting at? Right, right. Gentlemen, thank you for a good uh, conversation around this last session of our study on a name like no other. Uh, and I trust everyone will have a good conversation in your groups. But hey, let me tell you what's going to be happening uh, with our next Bible study. We're going to be starting another six-session study, and it's called Owning a Faith That Matters. And all of us, we know that we need faith. Uh, faith is what brings us to Christ. But as believers, we know that that faith that brings us to Christ, it's not just for that initial salvation. Faith is something we're to live in day by day, moment by moment. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be in the gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at the life of the teachings, the encounters uh, different individuals had with Jesus to see what those encounters teach us about faith. A life-changing faith, an expectant faith, a praying faith, a confident faith. We're going to see what it means to have a faith that matters. Well, we are glad that you joined us for this Bible study, and we hope you have a great study this week. <music>